that's it. Season seven, Faith in a Fresh Vibe. I'm your host, Rohati. Thanks for being here in this seventh season. Welcome to the bonus episode. I'm recording on Treaty 7 territory in Calgary, Alberta, Canada. That is also Métis Region 3. Thanks for being here. Thanks for sharing this podcast. Please do rate and follow all the guests and myself. Share it with all your friends who are deconstructing and decolonizing Christianity. This season started with my friend Gina Thomas coming through and interviewing me. We talk about my book that just came out, When We Belong. Do you have your copy yet? If not, no time like the present. Pick it up, leave a review for that. All of that helps. In this episode, it's a bonus episode. Bonus content. Didn't even have to sign up for a Patreon for this bonus. My friend Marla Taviano comes back through and she offers me some questions as well that I answer. So we started and we will end with an interview around my book, When We Belong. We also center our conversation around some of the tough questions, theological questions that I pose in my book and I chat about them. Then at the end of the podcast episode here, the bonus episode, I share some of my writing process, so any budding authors out there, any folks committed to the craft, share a little bit about how I do. Everyone's writing style is different, but I invite you to walk into the gifts that you've been given and cultivate that craft. Thanks for being here, Marla. Thanks as well for the interview questions. Marla helped me write the study guide for When We Belong, so you have a free discussion guide if you want to read the book with your friends, with a small group, with a book club. Do that. Available for download on my website or on the Herald Press website. Have a great summer, 2022. Until next season. It's just, okay, so I wasn't sure what to expect. I never know what to expect when I read a book um, from a Christian publisher by a Christian. It can go, I mean, a lot of different ways. I knew from following you, yeah, I knew from following you that I was going to, like, it was not, it was not going to be a painful read that I just went through so that I could tell you that I read your book so many times. Um when I read something, I, like I told you that half of it is my comments are what, um, <laughs> no, is like that it? Profound Just, things. What? And then, and then, what? <laughs> Was <laughs> so that the and, comment? And half what? of them are, no, <laughs> half of them are like, that's how I feel, or this is what yeah. I think, or this, mm. whatever. And I will say, and I don't, I don't think since this is a Christian publisher, I don't think you cuss in the book at all, but I, um, swear. I cussed no. it. I cussed in your book. <laughs> I, wrote, nice. I wrote um F this and F that and it, it F white evangelicals. So none of it was <laughs> what you were saying. Was, I even wrote F the church. Like, oh, like, like, yeah. Um yeah. that's kind of what I that's kind of my go to when I'm really mad about Yeah, yeah, something. me too, but only um, in my head, which is no but, different really. <laughs> it's nonstop. Yeah. So <laughs> But I want 
wanted to ask you first of all. Yeah. So, do you? Where do you find out? Where do you find all these books? Because the books that you listed, what I also personally loved is I counted, I think sixteen of the books that you listed, I have read. So we are reading a lot of the same thing. So where do you, where do you find books? Do you know ahead of time I'm going to read this book because this is the person that I am going. I respect them. I'm going to agree with them. I mean, do you have to wade through? a lot of like how do you find out about your books twitter <laughs> oh the books i read um yeah. probably twitter um yeah so i'm like you in that grew up in white evangelicalism went to white seminary and they don't call it they they don't call it that it was called <laughs> seminary it's it's white seminary um yeah. But also had a. I'm not white, so that's a big piece <laughs> exactly. of just having a default into into different um, worldviews. None. That's not automatic necessarily. But the other piece is I intentionally said. Oh, when did I say that? Probably when I stopped doing missional church stuff, because that was sort of my wheelhouse, and and I was my. It was going to be my first, my second book, Thrive, is about, it was going to be on church planning, but it wound up being more about reimagining leadership in the church for, in a post-Christian context, so outside of inherited privileges. And I realized that after I did that, and I knew while I was doing it, that this conversation, even though it was, I wouldn't call it progressive, but it was, it was storming the cultural narratives of consumer Christianity, and that that was interesting, but it was still dominated by white men. Like as far as the I could see, white men, white men, white men started the movement. White men were the keys to the movement. White men were being published. White men were at all conferences. So I was never going to get the time of day. And although it's shifting a little bit in the U.S. now, a little bit, especially in the metro areas, I kind of committed around that time, looking at my bookshelf. So when would this be? 2014. I'm not going to read books by white men anymore. Already, I've read those books. I've spent yeah, all my yeah. formation reading those books. And so I have to consciously now add different um, authors. And so very rarely now do I purchase a book or read a book by a white male author on purpose because I've done that thing. Um, yeah. White females, very similar too, because they're overrepresented in publishing as well. But how do I yeah. specifically find... Um, it could be people I know. And it could be people... Like I still have an affinity for some pieces of evangelicalism that that comes out of BIPOC uh, um, teachers, theologians. So I do pay attention to those voices who are in the institution but are producing and pushing against the, the regular mold. That might be a microcosm, like that might be um, the echo chamber somewhat. But I also stretch into intentionally um, black theological, womanist the, uh, theological thinkers and writers, mm -hmm. um, indigenous, and that's been a key for the past five years, maybe. So in, in the work of decolonizing, you have, must appeal to those voices. And so a um, lot of indigenous authors now. 
Um, and intentionally for this book and when we belong, I made a point not to center white authors. And so I only quote two, maybe at least only two theologians that I can think of because they were formative for me. Um, N.T. Wright absolutely helped reframe my understanding of, of resurrection. Walter Wink, same thing, reframe around power and principalities. So that's not, this isn't about, Oh, white men can't write. They have nothing to add. It's just, I've done that. There's a whole world for me to pick up on. And you know, what's really cool it, I just read um, oh, This Here Flesh mm. by um, um, Black Liturgy's uh, uh, Cole Arthur Riley. Cole Arthur Riley. Yeah. And she's younger than me, and a lot of the book is really similar to mine, but written in a different way. And I just, as I was reading, I was thinking to myself, if this is the kind of stuff and she reflects the next gen of writers, leaders, thinkers, public Mm -hmm. theologians, right? If this is what is being produced, I'm so excited. I'm thrilled. Like, we have a hope. (laughs) Because this is wild. It is incredible. It is all the good and right things. And, And I want to read and see more of that. And more of it is coming. So every chance I get to to raise those voices, I'm trying to do better at that. Um, but also, yeah, that's all I read now, and I can afford books now too, so I can I can buy them. Same but here, yeah. <laughs> that's that's yeah, that's it. So it will be people I know, and also sp- very specific to topics I actually care about. And and you know this, like once you get a sense of at least Christian publishing specifically, you know what's coming out and who writes what and what they're yeah. going to be writing on. And and I'm not going to spend money on, on certain books now because, A, I don't need it. Like, I don't need another book from a white guy writing about anti-racism in the church, right? <laughs> Other people can write that book now. And plus, that's yeah. not my space anymore, so... Right. Yeah, it's relationship, keeping your eyes. Twitter's a big help for sure of getting yeah. a sense and then knowing who they are too. That's always fun to see your homies come out with books. And then you have yeah. these other ones that come out of nowhere and like unbelieve and it's like this these <laughs> this collection of all of like the things that happen inside your head and now they're on pages. Well, thank you for um reading a book by a white woman. <laughs> That's kind of my thing, too, because I'm telling people, please read my book. I'm not going to read any books by white women. But, yeah. but if you... And but you made Twitter, it, though. Yeah. I, I was thinking when you were talking, um, I listened to your interview with um, Robert Monson recently. Cause I oh, love cool. following him on Twitter. And um, he had said something on Twitter, I don't even remember now, a few months ago, about his reading for so much of his life being lopsided. And mm. particularly, he wanted to read more black women to, yeah. to even that out. And I yeah. have just used that analogy and thought about that so much that, like, my bookshelf behind me right now, it's entirely, like, four bookshelves full. No white people are on these bookshelves. I do yeah. have a white a white person bookshelf. <laughs> in the, in the <laughs> it's upstairs. Room. It's next to the <laughs> bin. Yeah. No, me too. The ones yeah. that I've kept. Um, but... <laughs> I have been reading since I was four years old and I didn't mm-hmm. stop and I'm four mm-hmm. six. 
so, and I know for a fact that 99 point whatever percent of the yeah. books I read for the first 35 years were by yeah. white people. Yeah. And so just imagining how much reading I have to do to get that teeter totter, like balance, mm -hmm. like get it on mm -hmm. lopsided. <clears throat> um, I have a really hard question for you. I don't know if you're going to be able to answer this. My question for you is, quote first, well, first of all, you were talking about the church planning that you used to do, and you, you said that people today, they don't have to unlearn something about church planning. Um, I don't well, know. In my I, context, I yeah. I've talked to so many people who, like a friend of mine recently just said, oh, I met Jesus when I was like 26. And I guess he just didn't come with all that baggage because I like I just learned about like him loving and da da da. And I was like, wow, <laughs> that must yeah. be so yeah. nice I'm jealous. to like yeah. not un have to unlearn. <laughs> yeah. Super jealous. Yeah. Um, does the discernment of scripture by a community mean any theological position is up for grabs? The short of it is yes. Does this mean every doctrinal belief is subjective, and every theological insight? opinion again yes <laughs> it doesn't necessarily mean they must all be discarded but they certainly are productions of man usually men and should always be scrutinized <laughs> okay so number one that makes you a heretic the fact that you said <laughs> i mean that, that you're saying this but then you do go on to say <laughs> that the one no the one non-negotiable is the incarnation jesus as fully god fully man along with his ministry and teachings to sacrifice to take the sins of the world unto death on the cross and subsequent defeat of those powers and resurrection is the one non-negotiable and i'm wondering if you have the words currently to articulate why why you think that anything is up for grabs but that that is non-negotiable because i am questioning right now whether that, for me, whether that really is non-negotiable. Like, what, is there anything left that's that's not negotiable? I used to say it was two things. It was the resurrection and, and the, the death and resurrection or incarnation, which is kind of two things, um, and the Trinity. But that's not true because there are many Unitarians who hang out and, you know, they have a different idea. And I also tell the story of the Ethiopians, so can't be that. Why only? So that is opinion, and I think there's a lot of folks now who are processing in the deconstruction world around the notion that you don't need resurrection. There is no story of of why bother um, with this whole story if there's no power that has been defeated, and and it's reflected in the cross. Could have been, I guess, other other ways. But there, there must be some substance behind the why. So both the why of Christianity, I, I think Christianity can be boiled down, even though we all have our doctrinal statements, whatever, whatever. Um, but, but the resurrection piece is the why love. The resurrection piece is why bad things happen or eventually won't. Like, the, the whole narrative arc of God putting the world to rights, which I think is an unchanging dream, and that is a story of righting all the wrongs eventually, is inaugurated and previewed with the defeat of death on the cross. 
And so that's a story around power and the possibility that we can love better and the possibility that wrongs can be turned right now because we have the whole fullness of the kingdom now all happens because of Jesus's victory over the powers of death um, and all powers in, in that moment. And so if you put that away, then you just have, and this is kind of tired old teaching, you just have um, a prophet with some good teachings, and they're good teachings. Love one another, love your neighbor, love God. But when push comes to shove, I asked the question, I didn't bring this up in the book, of why bother with any of that? Why bother love? Because that's way harder to do those things. Why bother with justice? There needs to be a, a, a rationale that these things are, in fact, good. And the possibilities that the, the unjust powers can be upturned is rooted in the fact that they, in fact, have been defeated. Um, so uh, that's why I don't give it up. And I haven't found a compelling reason to to say that the resurrection is not needed. There's no Christian story without resurrection. It's something else. Um, and a lot of people go in that direction where um, they still have this Jesus figure, um, but they miss the cataclysmic thing, that uh, moment in history that changed everything. Like, it's got to change everything. Or um, it just becomes okay teaching, Right. So I, and this is the belief part, believe that resurrection altered the course of history. Uh, and that early church w- was embodying that fundamental belief that the powers around them were defeated and were in the process of being defeated, which is what made them so radically inclusive and what made them do the things against an empire that was literally killing them because of their belief in that and and their witnessing to the magnitude of that power. Um, and to your right, Day the Revolution Began will explain it better than I could. That was one of the key books for me, and I think it would probably work for you because you have all the theological um, pieces to make sense of, of that book really the ultimate question of why the cross even matters because all the other answers are useless like to satiate god's wrath um to atone for my sins so to appease the need for sacrifice uh that all those things they're incomplete it needs to fit into a grand story of god putting the world to rights and it inaugurates in resurrection curious about that yeah i have a lot of thoughts about that i won't go into all i i'm still trying to figure out (laughs) that book was really crucial for me not that i was walking away or anything like that but there was nothing suitable that answered that question around why the cross so christus victor which is a theory of atonement and then Mm -hmm. the work of Oh, so nonviolent atonement by Weaver. Actually, I quote in the book. Oh, well, that's three white guys. Damn it! Okay. Oh, three white guys. <laughs> <Shoot>. <laughs> so three white guys 
But yeah, the Weaver book on nonviolent atonement gives you a lot of framework outside of evangelical thinking. That's crucial. And The Day the Revolution Began by N.T. Wright, those two books that will fill in most of the blanks. And, and if you don't want to go down that road, fine. But they, those two at least give the um, the meat and potatoes. I can't believe I used that metaphor. Yeah. The meat and potatoes of, uh, of resurrection and why that is the crucial event. I think if I like my biggest problem with what evangelicals believe is all of the penal substitution, all the, all that stuff. Because yeah. I think it just that violence translates into more violence. I, I don't know. It's like a it's medieval. Yeah, yeah. It's not and it's so, not uh, early church stuff. That is medieval yeah. stuff. It comes a thousand years later, fifteen hundred years later. Well, a thousand years later. Like no. Yeah, and on those lines, when you were talking about all uh, you, I love the parts in the book about um indigenous spirituality Mm. and things you're learning that's one of the big that was a huge gap in my education and reading and learning yeah me too um, i've just been reading so many indigenous authors and finding out more but the whole idea of we believe in a bible that was written here and then we find out oh actually we believe something that was put into the bible at this time And then what you're saying when we, like the ways that we even read the Bible or learn things or think are also very Western ideas. Like imagine going back to indigenous ways of being and and thinking and being connected to the land and all of that. Like, I just feel like it's this, the smaller and smaller, like the more I learn, the smaller my bubble that I was in feels like I was so in this tiny little everything i hmm. had to think this way i was i didn't realize yeah. that i was being taught how to think how to be how to feel uh, what to hmm. know what to love what to like and the whole the the earth and the land and creation hmm. was nothing to evangelical christians oh, throw yeah. it Still, away yeah, it's all yeah, gonna burn yeah, yeah. And we're getting out of here I anyway just, <laughs> yeah it's everything it's all it's all upside down. Like mm. it's all backwards. It's all <laughs> what's well, rooted in conquest and colonization. Yes. Makes sense. Yeah. Manifest destiny and yeah. doctrine of discovery and all that yeah. crap. <laughs> it's like just lies. And anyway, yeah. so I love your book and I'm going to tell all the people about it. Um, I'm glad you wrote it. Do you, do you love to write? That was one of my other questions. Like, is this something you have thoughts in your mind and you need to get them out. So you do it or do yep. you actually love to write or. <laughs> oh, it's, it's both. Yeah, for sure. Like all writers, I think are folks who have ideas swimming around their minds and you have to put them out. Um, yeah. You have to cultivate that though. I think for me, at least you can get into that zone and things are flying, you know, it's just like, I'm unstoppable. Yeah. I've got all stars everywhere. <laughs> and it helps if I'm angry yeah. too. Cause then it's just like, I got yeah. rage to pull, pull all these things. <laughs> so like, there's that I've never really cultivated like practices around writing unless I had deadlines. So I, I'm not like, Oh, I'm going to do 30 days of poetry or, Ooh, I'm going to yeah, do, yeah. um, uh, I've, I've, and, and I think this is to my detriment, haven't done a lot around creative writing. So I, I I'm fall short, haven't read, haven't written fiction, um, that kind of stuff. And so I feel like the craft of writing I have committed to, I write every day, but I don't, um, I haven't entered into 
the deeper pieces of that craft, like around poetry or like I've, we've done spoken word pieces and things like that. But um, so I feel like I feel like all the people with their arts degrees in creative writing or their <laughs> MAs and whatever, like they, they can yeah. write like they like the copy editors on my book, like the amount, like it's wild. So like I can write and then there's like another level of, of writing. So I kind of think of it as, <laughs> as I want to be a gifted and talented storyteller. One yeah. of the avenues is writing and uh, want to be a better writer, of course. Uh, and, and there's so much of that writing world out there. So, I mean, how do you, you sense your own writing? You're obviously have to write. Like, writers just have to write, you know, or else you'll explode. 